All right, welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Dave Chapman here with you. The Magic uh, kicking off a five-game homestand this week. They fall last night to the Milwaukee Bucks, 109-102. Good effort, though, and the competition uh, still stiff on Wednesday as the Clippers come in a healthy Clippers team, which is a completely different animal than what we've seen the last couple weeks. Speaking of animal, I did not even plan that, but my guest is Noah Eagle, the radio play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, among other things. Uh, and, of course, son of Ian. And uh, I wanted to catch up with you last year. Noah, we couldn't make the schedules link. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And um, let's just start with the Clippers, where they are, that win last night in Charlotte. I'm sure it had to have kind of been an emotional outburst for the team and for everybody associated. It's like, oh, that's what we signed up for. Yeah, last name Eagle. I've also got that dog in me. So uh, just overall animal style and a over cool here. Cat from at there we go. <laughs> uh, no doubt, no doubt. It was it was a fun way to to bring some of those so big guys back in. Essentially, the big names, right? The superstars. So Kawhi Leonard, Paul George had only played a couple of games together, really in the beginning of the season. Kawhi comes back, then PG goes out, and then they both go out. And Luke Kennard had been out, and then Norman Powell goes out. And so Norm's still sidelined with his groin injury, but to get Kawhi and PG back, I know they didn't necessarily go off for the superstar numbers that we've seen them uh, go for in the past. You know, I remember my first year with the team was their first year with the team. And the first time I really had that moment of step back and say, oh, these two guys are on the court together doing this was in Minnesota. And they had 42 and 46 apiece Mm. in regulation in the game. And barely won the game, by the way, because Carl Anthony Towns had a Herculean effort on the other side. But it, it's unbelievable to watch just the the mere presence of each of them, that type of impact it can have on everybody else. The openings for guys like now Marcus Morris or Reggie Jackson or Ravitsa Zubats are coming off the bench of John Wall and Terrence Mann and Nick Batum. And, you know, again, not even having Norm Powell, who was on a tear before he went down and had a, a ridiculous performance in Portland, the, the game he ended up getting hurt. It's just exciting. It's an exciting time. And then to have the ability to stretch the floor even further with Luke Kennard. This is a team that two years ago nearly set the record in the NBA in three-point percentage at a much higher volume than any team had ever shot at that clip. And they'd struggled to start this season as a three-point shooting group, which was not really expected given the personnel that they were bringing in, guys they were bringing back. Well, Luke Kennard missing a handful of games did not help that because this is a guy who last year shot above 45%, who was head and shoulders at times the best shooter in the league for stretches. And now to get him on the court immediately makes his impact and his presence felt, knocks down a huge four-point play to start the fourth quarter that set the tone for the final 12 minutes. So, yeah, emotional outburst is one way to put it, but it almost was another sigh of relief of, okay, and we know what this team is capable of when they're at full strength and they're not even quite there. That kind of answers what my next question was going to be. It was like, how thick does the collective angst get when, and it's still early in the season, Noah, but like, I, I think there's probably when you, when you start to, to, to look at the games lost to injury and you start to think about, you know, is there going to be enough time if we start layering the guys back in and, and, I just there, when you have championship expectations, everybody wants everything to be perfect right from the get go. And when you have veterans like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, it's it's a it's supposed to be a gradual build. I think that's what Ty Lue is is trying to get out of it. But it can be really difficult in in late November, I would assume. But I'm I'm glad you brought up Teron Lue, and to me, he is the reason that everybody is calm no matter what. You know, he learned a lot of his mannerisms. You watch him on the bench. If you watch a Clipper game, 
or listen on the radio. We mention it all the time. He never gets too high or too low. He's yeah. always stoic. And he learned that from Phil Jackson playing with the Lakers to start his career. He, he says that Phil would essentially let the team figure it out on their own. And he, they would look at the bench and they'd see him just kind of cross arms, sitting down, blank face, no real feeling or gauge of how is he understanding or digesting what's happening in front of him, even if they're down a 9-0 run. All right, figure it out for a second. I don't want to call a timeout just yet. Let's see if you guys can fight through this adversity. And that has really been what's taken them over the top. So his first year as the head coach, they get to the conference finals. It's because they mirrored his feeling. They were down 2-0 in the first round, 3-2 in that first round of Dallas. They come back and win it. Then down 2-0 to Utah. They tied at 2-2. Kawhi Leonard tears his ACL. They don't skip a beat. They win that series to get to the first conference finals. And then they lose the, the conference finals in six games to the Phoenix Suns. But they easily could have been up 3-1 in that series. A Absolutely. Peaks game two. Game four was back and forth affair. And that was very much there for the taking without their best player available to them. With Avita Zubac getting hurt in that series against DeAndre Ayton. And you look at what Teron Lu was just capable of doing in terms of moving mountains and getting guys to buy in and believe. So they trust him. And he's been through the ringer. He's won championships as a player. He's won a championship as a head coach. So they know that he is very much somebody they can rely on for that that knowledge, that that feeling of, okay, is this where we're supposed to be? He looks at seasons as 10-game pockets. Yeah. And so he's hoping that every 10 games they get a little bit better, a little bit closer. And he always says, I don't care if we're playing our best basketball in November, December, January. We want to be playing our best basketball come April. It, it is very much a, a marathon. But the, the very interesting part of all of this was I remember I asked them basically the exact same question maybe five, ten games ago, not even, maybe five games ago, let's say. And he said, you know what's funny is someone just brought this up to me that we're like at the time, let's say, you know, 11 and 9 or whatever it is. And we're only two games out of first place right now. Because yeah. the Western Conference being so jumbled up, it's allowed this longer runway for this team to take off. And they're hoping that maybe this four-game road trip is just the start. He, um, I, I think he's he also learned a lot just from managing what what LeBron in Cleveland is, which is like it, its own center of gravity. And I was there for uh, 2018, and I was working um, for 92.3 The Fan and, and the Browns Radio Network. So I was loosely covering the Cavs. I was there, though. Um, through the postseason and at least, you know, in the in the scrums. And he does. He's just got like a calm about him. And it's almost like not to compare <laughs> not to compare players to children, but have you ever seen like a three-year-old fall over and then they look up and they react the same way exactly. that the adults are reacting? If you look over exactly. at the bench and you see that panic, then I think it incites panic in the team. I mean, it is. That's a, that's the Zen master at work, isn't it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's, that's the way he would exactly describe it is that's the perfect analogy to figure this one out. It's you're going to reflect exactly what you're seeing at all right. times. Who's your leader. It's the same as like a, an alpha dog of a pack, right? If your dog is the leader of the pack and it's just always calm, never barking, the rest of the dogs aren't going to bark. They're just going to continue to follow the leader and yeah. find their way to their eventual destination. But it's not just handling LeBron and Cleveland. I go through his whole playing career, and I, I always love to ask him little bits and pieces. It starts in L.A. with Shaq and Kobe. Then he's in Orlando with T-Mac, yes. and he gets to see that superstar level. 
He was in Houston with T-Mac. He was in uh, Atlanta where he was more of a focal point. Uh, and then he was with Washington early in the 2000s with Michael Jordan. So he sees Shaq and Kobe, but then he sees Michael Jordan. And then he gets to see LeBron at his peak. Like he's seen all of these all time. And not to mention the very end of his career back in Orlando with Dwight Howard at his right. peak. Right. That team, seeing how they got it done, seeing how they went out about it day to day with Dwight and Jameer Nelson and Rashard Lewis and J.J. Redick and, and Stan Van Gundy and how he coaches. And so he had all these different perspectives. Jeff Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy, Doc Rivers as a coach. And that's who we eventually joined as an assistant. And when his first his first assistant job with Doc Rivers, he was in charge of that Celtics team of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Rajon Rondo. Those were the three guys he put in charge of. So that's right there is the best possible education you could get. So I think he's unfazed by whatever could happen. And if I could pick a perfect coach for the situation that Clippers have right now of having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and having to understand the greater goal and how to get there, it's Teron Louie just figures it out. All right. Here's a here's an inside baseball question. When I was in Detroit, Reggie Jackson was in Detroit and he yeah. used to get on the plane and the bus and give dap to every goofy broadcaster and no, you know how far that goes. It's all we want. All anybody wants is acknowledgement uh, on the on the plane. And so he's he's one of my favorites. How, the joy of covering Reggie Jackson and of seeing Reggie reclaim, resurrect his career. I mean, there, you know, it wasn't. I'm not going to say he was on the brink of being out of the league, but he was sort of an afterthought, I think. And he he needed to get healthy and he needed an opportunity, and he pounced on both. Yeah, let's start with this. He is the DAP master, very much yeah. so. Still is. <laughs> Every single person gets a DAP or a fist bump or whatever it might be. And he's, I think, taking it to a new level now where he just he finds something to compliment everybody about. There's like one thing he's gonna he's gonna point out. It's good you know, vibes, he, man. That's great. He is, he's a vibes curator. He's a VC for sure. <laughs> and what he does that I think is great is no matter where you are, he'll stop and really genuinely ask about your day and and how you are and, and want to know the answer. But that stems from, from him, I think, feeling like he's wanted that same treatment for his whole life. And a lot of yeah. times, it, but I think there were moments towards the end of his tenure, maybe in Detroit, and, and to your point, where he felt like he'll be the first to tell you, and he's been admitted this on many occasions, that he was going to retire. Like he was 150%. He was telling his brother, who is one of his best friends, as close as anybody in his life, he was saying, I'm, I'm retiring. I can't do this anymore. Mentally, mm. just drained. You know, he was in a negative headspace. The best thing that happened to him was that one of his other best friends happens to be Paul George. And, right. and they grew close because they had the same agent. And they just met each other as rookies. Or they're one year apart, let's say, in terms of their NBA career. But they met each other, young NBA guys. And they just stayed friendly all the way through. And they just built that friendship. And at one point, Reggie was living, I think, at, at Paul's house at one point during this friendship over the years. And and so that friendship and the bond allowed for Paul to reach out to Reggie right away and said, we're coming to get you. And he goes, no, don't, don't worry about it. He's like, no, we're coming to get you. So they get Reggie Jackson. He's not really a hundred percent healthy when they, they acquire him as a buyout candidate before the, the 2020 bubble. He yeah. just it for a couple of weeks. He's with the team. He's trying to acclimate to a team that, at that point, was still trying to figure out their own chemistry and, and continuity and everything with the first year of Kawhi and PG, and then the older guys who had been there before and everything like that. And so 
Uh, Reggie struggled. Reggie struggled a bit in the bubble. He had some moments here and there. But again, after the season, he said, I, I don't think I can do it. I got to retire. Mm-hmm. And Paul once again said, no, you're not. You're coming back. So the Clippers sign him. And he comes back. Like This is one of my favorite stories because of the guy he is and because of all the times that he even admits to himself, like, I didn't think I was going to do it again. Because he comes back the next year and he's out of the rotation. Teron Lou takes over as head coach and he says, look, man, we got too many guys right now. We just can't roll with you. We just can't do it. I'm sorry. And that's what I also appreciate about Teron Lou as a head coach. It's very upfront. He's going to tell someone how it is right away. He's going to look them in the eye in person and tell them so that they have no qualms, no worries, or no questions about where that they That goes stay. a long way. That goes a very long way. Very much so. But naturally, a player is going to be disappointed, and I sure. think Reggie was. But T. Lou said to him, I can guarantee you we are going to need you at some point. You have to stay ready. The best thing that could happen to him that year was that Chauncey Billups is one of the lead assistant coaches on the team. Chauncey, a Colorado guy. Reggie somewhat claims Colorado as one of his many homes as he bounced around growing up. But those two had a bond quickly. And Chauncey took him under his wing and basically showed him the ropes and said, this is what you're going to do to get your career back on track. And, And he was with him every step of the way that season. And when his time came, Patrick Beverly went down with an injury for an extended period. Reggie balled out and, and really never relinquished that spot from that point on. And then that the playoff run was what solidified it in 2021. He was playing like an all-star, right? plain and simple, like an all-star. So covering him since then has been nothing but a joy. Every time they win at home, he's dancing on the court after the game. To your point, it's about the vibes with him. It's all positivity all the time. He's talking about books he's reading. He's talking about trips he's going on and everything else in between. So I'm nothing but but thrilled for the guy and all the success he's had, and, and hopefully it continues through this season and beyond. It's funny because I was in Detroit when they traded for him, and uh, if you recall, you know, he, he wanted out of Oklahoma and was pretty vocal about that and um, showed it in in a few different ways. And, in, and I remember Oklahoma came in, we beat them, and Reggie – was like running down and I mean it was Durant and Westbrook and Reggie is running down the sideline and that was like probably the best memory that Reggie had at certainly uh at the palace and probably in Detroit in general because everything just sort of went flat and that's a whole nother story but like in hindsight and everybody was like oh Reggie this is Durant and Westbrook in hindsight with the way that Durant and Westbrook's careers ended up panning out and yeah maybe maybe Reggie had a point I just think it's funny he's a he's a great dude and a lot of people I don't think understand kind of what he's like behind the scenes because they just sort of you know you kind of people people tend to judge basketball players characters based on their game and so like if you if you get an error if you take too many shots in a basketball game people think you're selfish and that uh, that doesn't seem very fair to me but it's kind of the way people view it um one more question about the Clippers just tell me about you know what the future the near future looks like is it going to be do you think it's something where it's as easy as you have those guys on the floor Paul and Kawhi and the championship caliber basketball will be there very soon or do you think it's still kind of that slow runway do you are, are you expecting it to peak in more March April yeah I, Jake I think it's it's almost a combo so the way I've been describing this to people because this is a common I think concern with the team is all right well how how quickly can they truly gel again because these I mean Kawhi missed all of last year yeah the majority now of this season he's only played in six games pg missed two-thirds of last season and now has missed a chunk of this season and you're just looking at it and saying okay there's only so much time eventually you need to get them on the floor 
and he needed to start getting real reps together, and he needed to start building that camaraderie back. But I don't think it's going to take as long as it did originally, and and this is the analogy I like to use. So when I was a kid, me and my sister used to play Super Mario, you know, Super Mario Bros, a classic game, an all-timer. And for whatever reason, there comes that level where you just can't figure out how to get through it. There's the one trip up. Maybe you you fall onto like the mushroom guys by mistake. You run into them and you, you lose the level or you fall off the cliff or something like that. And there was this girl who my, my sister was friends with came over and just like was really good. She just beat the level. And we're like, whoa, how'd you do that? She's like, all right, so we can go hang out now. We're like, no, you got to show us how you did that. You know, you got to got to teach us your ways. Right. So once you then complete the level on your own, you eventually would beat the game and you whatever. Then you're like, all right, let me see how, how I could do it the second time. And you go back through a second time and maybe you don't beat that same level the first try, but it's not going to take you 25 like it did the first time around. Right. It might be three because you figured it out. And then the next time it might take you two. And the next time you can do it right away. And so that's the way I kind of look at this is the, the Clippers actually found their blueprint. It was so hard to swallow. It was a hard pill to swallow. They found their blueprint of how to play with Kawhi and PG right when he tears his ACL. If you right. look at game three and four, they clicked. It just clicked for them. And Teron Lou figured it out. Those two guys figured it out. And all the pieces surrounding them just started to fit. And so they found it. And most of the pieces are still there. You know, a couple guys aren't here anymore. But for the most part, it's almost the same team. And it's the same coach, a lot of the same coaching staff, same front office. So I look at that and I say, okay, it's not going to happen overnight because you need to reestablish all of that. You can't just automatically hit the court and go. Because if if you could do that, then everybody would just do that all the time. It doesn't work that way. Things change over, over the years and you've got to readjust to your old roles or whatever else. But the guys know it. They have it inside of them. They've found it in the past. So I don't think it's going to take forever. I just think that they need to have some semblance of, of continuity or uh, some level of just consistency on the floor of, of playing games and getting the reps. But See, it'll come as long and, as they do. That. But that's the interesting part to me is just that there's now identities and 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 kind of a mini identity that's been formed without them. You know, there, there are players – who are going to have to adjust. And in some ways, maybe, you know, the numbers aren't going to be there, the production. I think of a guy like Terrence Mann. I, I, I'm i crazy about Terrence Mann. Does Terrence Mann fit in a playoff series? It's, of course, you're going to need him. But, you know, what I love about Terrence Mann is, is a lot of the things that you're going to have other guys probably, if you're at full strength, what they're going to bring. So it's it, it's an, it's a matter of, and this is all what Ty Lue is probably, I'm sure, keeping him up at night. It's a matter of, being able to add to what you've been building because it's still a really good defensive team, obviously. And again, you've got guys like Zubats and guys who have been able to sort of blossom in the absence of the superstars. Are you able to plot the superstars right back on and and they just form back around them? Or you know, it's gonna it's gonna take some growing pains from the guys who have had to fill in and have done a good job at it. Yeah, no doubt. And that's what I think makes this team so special and so dangerous is that all those guys. When you talk about like the first guy you brought up is the perfect example of it. Terrence Mann, another guy who his rookie year, most people were saying he's not going to last two seasons in the NBA. And his second year, he came back, he got better clearly, but it, it really didn't look like he was going to be this heavy rotation, high impact player by any stretch. It looked like he was going to be maybe a, a continued developmental piece or a high energy locker room guy, whatever. And then he explodes. And yeah. part of that is, 
Teron Lue gave him confidence. Part of that was opportunity. And so he took the opportunity. But the way I've always seen him, and you see him do it day to day, and Avita Zubats might be the best example of this. Whatever the team needs from him that day, he is going to provide. Yeah. So neither of them care about their stats in the slightest. They care about wins. Luke Kennard's the same way. Amir Coffey's the same way. You know, you go down the entire roster. Nick it's a Batum, deep team. It is yeah, a deep Batum team, buddy. Does the same exact things, right? Nick Batum doesn't care if he scores zero points or 30 points, and I've seen him do both. He just wants to help the team win whatever that takes for that day. Robert Covington, he hasn't cared that he hasn't been getting minutes. When his time comes, he's going to be ready. And so that these guys knew what they signed up for coming into the season. Yeah. If you know, if if they didn't want to do that and like they're honest, then I think the front office is honest with them. As mentioned, the head coach is very honest with them of, hey, this is what it's going to look like when we're at full strength. There are going to be times we're going to need you to do more than this. But if you can buy in, we believe we have a real chance at winning the whole thing. And that's the ultimate goal. And that's why everybody's here. So I'm not as worried about that. And I think everybody understands that. And sir, it's easier to say it than to do it. But but I do believe at least just being around the group that the overall vibe kind of reflects it. I think it's it 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 sounds like the hallmark of leadership. Um, because expectation you can sink under the weight of expectations, but I look around and I won't name any names, but I look around at some other organizations that have those expectations that aren't that it doesn't feel like are all on the same page necessarily. Um, so I think uh, we'll go to the opposite coast for a few of those, and we don't need to dive too much further in. Um, I want to ask about growing up the son of Ian Eagle. I want to ask about Noah Eagle specifically. The day you decided that you wanted to be. <laughs> a play-by-play broadcaster were you like two was there ever anything else um for you as a were you a, i mean you, you had to have grown up in a press box i would imagine and then tell me you had to have had a day when you were 12 and you were like you know what dad i want to play guitar or something like that so yeah. what was it like was it was it just always sort of assumed that you would do what you're doing now because you're damn good at it yeah, well, I I popped out the womb and immediately say, "Welcome to St. Barnabas Hospital in Livingston, New Jersey." Uh, no, I I I also did have a perfect quaff the second I was born of my right. hair. Yeah, um, no, I, you know it's funny. I I a lot of people ask when I decided I wanted to do this, and I always tell them the same thing. When when I, when I was really young, people would ask me this question, and I would immediately give them the answer of like, "Well, I want to be a TV dentist," and that's not a real thing, Jake. Like I just made up this combination of Dr. Phil and dentistry and filling molars at 4 p.m. That on sounds a like a great – how is that not a show? I, there are so it, many I terrible know. shows. I'd probably the watch that. thing is now I think that there are plenty of TikTok dentists, so I missed my calling by a couple of years. Like if I was just a little more patient or had a little more foresight, maybe I could have gotten it done. But uh, I, I kind of realized that – I wouldn't want to sit at home and watch someone get a crown installed at like 11 a.m. on a Wednesday at Wednesday morning. So why would anybody else want to do that? So I, I pivoted. You know, I, I was doing a speech in fifth grade. I, I made this speech. I dressed up. We had to dress up as a biography. We read. I read Bill Gates and I dressed up as Bill Gates. I brought in this large poster board, fake check to the school. I went nice. all out. Yeah, I went all out. It was a performance. And when I was done, my teacher, she just said, you're one day going to do something in public speaking. And, you know, I'm 11 years old and I'm definitely I definitely had a little bit of a sense of. Uh, I wouldn't say I was stubborn, but I would not say I was stubborn. So I would say that uh, I looked her dead in the eye and said, no, I'm going to play in the NBA one day. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, said, you're still on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I was in fifth grade. You know, I was naive. I mean, yeah, but know, how I, tall? You couldn't have been very tall. <laughs> I was a four foot seven baller for for your information. Fifth yeah. grade, you're right. Okay, fifth grade, we still have dreams. That's right. Okay, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. So then, when I got to senior year of college and said I'm going to play in the NBA, my professor said, "No, you're not." Uh, no, I'd say fifth grade was the first time it got kind of planted into my head that maybe I could do something public speaking related. I always did well in the speech stuff and in, in school and. I was always comfortable doing that stuff. And then I'd say by 13 years old, I said, all right, I've seen my dad wake up every morning, excited to do his work, go to work and see all the people and how he's interacting with everybody. I love that. I love uh, the relationships that he's formed. And so that's, I would say, when I started to key in on it more and then it became, I didn't do anything until I got to college. You know, everybody's like, oh, you must've done all these high school games. Like, no, nah, I went with my dad. Yeah. To your point, I went as much as I could. I got, busier as I got into high school with activities or, or friends or whatever else and couldn't go as much. Yeah. Just being an overall human being. And yeah. so I didn't go as much, but I would go as frequently as I could. And whether it was football, basketball, I just, I tried to, to be around. So I, I definitely learned some through just watching and osmosis of being around, but I didn't do any broadcasting until I got to college. And then once I did, I really, the, the second I got there, I said, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity. I did for four years. I just did as much as I possibly could. I tried to get as as great as I possibly could in the four years, and I was off on my way from there. You didn't walk on with Coach Beheim? <laughs> you know what's funny is my high school basketball coach was like, you're going to try to walk on? I'm like, no, you've seen me. Uh, sir, I'm going to Syracuse. Yes. <laughs> you realize I'm 5'8 on a good day. Like, I'm not I'm not doing anything there. He's like, you can play top of the zone. I'm like, what zone are you referring yes, to? Which, which, which auto zone? <laughs> like, am I playing auto zone here? Like, no. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's good. I had kind of a similar story. I, I realized, I mean, I was, I loved sports and I didn't ever really have any delusions of grandeur that I was going to be able to play professionally, but I did theater. I started getting into theater in high school and I was like, I would love to be able to turn this into something. Yeah. And then I went away, uh, when I went away to school, I went to Ohio State um, and I was like, I kind of wanted to be an actor, at least when I was looking at schools and I was like, why don't I figure out, like acting can be a hobby. Why don't I figure out a way to turn you know, the performance aspect isn't something that I might actually get paid to do. Uh, and so that's how I got into broadcast journalism. And I feel like, I mean, you and I, okay, so I'm I'm one of the younger radio broadcasters in the league, let alone you. But this, it's an older, radio is an older medium, you know? It, it tends to skew crusty, let's say. Um, what's it like for you working, you know, I read uh, uh, an interview you did, you worked with Dan Fouts, and I'm sure you You've known Dan forever. He is, he was what, 71 when you worked with him? Or, you know, you're talking about a 50 year age gap. Um, do you find yourself just being, when when you're just being yourself, when you're Noah, it fits in with uh, with the greatest generation? Or is it hard to to kind of mask how young you are? No, I, I, I guess I was always kind of an older soul. In fact, when I got the Clipper job, the, the headline of the athletic article that was written was he's 22 going on 52. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of all you need to know about me and how I've <laughs> operated for a long time. You know, it's, it's benefited me in that case that I I've always felt like I can relate to anybody of any age. And, and that's my goal at the end of the day, if, especially if I'm working with somebody, you know, and I've worked with Dan, I just worked with Mike Fratello, who I've known even longer than I've known Dan. 
and, and for others and Bill Raftery. So it's it's me just recycling yeah. all of my dad's old partners now and and just trying to one up them, which is very difficult to do. But it, it's yeah, fun. I would hold off on that. Give yourself a few years before yeah. you, before you aim uh, for that. I got <laughs> yeah, I got a little bit of, of a wiles to go, ways to go before I can get there. But it's been fun because I. I Really, more than anything, I love to just accumulate all the stories from them. I love being around them and, and just interacting. And so uh, friendships above anything else, that's that's really what comes from working with people like that. And and you know it now from seeing everybody around the NBA, all the other radio guys. Like I love interacting with them as well. Totally. I have a chance before the game to talk to somebody for a few minutes. It's great. So I look forward to that stuff more than anything else. It never intimidated me for whatever reason. It's funny you use the word osmosis because I've been producing NBA broadcasts since I was like 25. And when I started, when they asked me to do play-by-play, like I don't have, I'm not a play-by-play lifer. I didn't, I wasn't calling high school play-by-play games. Um, And so I was a little, I was very nervous about it. And then I realized that, man, I just, I absorbed what a broadcast sounds like. I have done it my entire life professionally and personally and at some point if you just close your eyes and well you don't want to close your eyes but if you if you just trust that what you're going to do is going to work um you kind of get over the fact that you don't have as much experience as maybe other people do i mean i would love to see you do a game with your eyes closed i could i could sense it yeah yeah (laughs) you can just feel like you you know what no it would sound something like this and another turnover for the magic no (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. I don't I'm joking, know. I'm joking. You know, you know, our so our TV guy Brian Seaman was doing radio for uh the Clippers for 12 years before I got there and, and he was elevated. And every time we lost the game since I've been here, I get on the bus and he looks at me and goes, Did we win on radio? Because we always <laughs> won on radio when I did it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's a good point. Technically, yes. we could. We could win anytime we want to. Uh yeah, I I guess it, it's funny because I try to explain that to people. When when people ask me what's the because all the time I get this question from from college kids or high school kids who say, what can I be doing right now? And it's not the season. They don't have games. I said the best thing you can do is immerse yourself with other broadcasters. Mm. Just listen or watch as many as you possibly can that you like, that you respect, the ones you think are good, because I'm not saying you're going to go and steal everything from them, but you want to incorporate their style into your style and blend it together. So, yes, the best thing that you could have done was just sit down and listen for years as you did to so many different broadcasts. And now you're taking bits and pieces from all of them and and using it yourself. I think that's one of the greatest ways to learn anything. Just immerse yourself in it at all times. Yeah, I say I say read and write whenever anybody else asks me, because it's just like there is there are so many sort of basic things that you can do. You know, I don't know because I get asked that question a lot too, and I'm I don't know if I'm supposed to say like start a blog. That's what I did, or or start a podcast. Like that's not very original advice. Like no. I feel like I feel like just the idea of spending your free time doing whatever it is that you want to do professionally and and absorbing it and consuming it can go a long way. And a lot of people don't even really get that part right. Um, let me ask you this before we go because we're running out of time according to Zoom. What do you want to do in 30 years? Like you've gotten like I I'm comfortable doing this job until I retire, but I'm 13 years ahead of you. What does Noah Eagle at 50 want to be doing? Running the world? Are you going to run for president? Oh, I know. I most certainly not okay, I can't not I can't take the wrinkles like Obama. He did it way too well. Like it looks good on him. It would not look good on me. You know what no. I mean? 
So no, president is out of the question. Uh, yeah, I don't really know if I have one thing that I'm looking at and saying, I need to do this before I'm done, or I need to do that. I, I always just say, and it's a very cliche, probably cop out answer, but I always say that as long as I'm having fun and challenged each year, that I'll still be enjoying whatever I'm doing. So that's, that's still doing the NBA and still doing Clippers radio or doing something else. It's irrelevant for me. Like I'm just going to be happy doing it. And so that's really it. I, I love the, like I said, the relationships that I form over all these different things that I've done and the bonds and all the camaraderie, because realistically, since we never got to continue playing sports and since I'm five, eight on a good day. And since my athletic ability is very limited, this is the closest I can feel to being like in a locker room environment. Yeah. We're not doing something with a full crew and we're going to dinners or we're, we're we've created this, this art together, right? It's a team effort to get to the eventual destination. That is the final product. And so that's what I like. And so as long as I'm doing that, you know, and, and I'm happy and enjoying it, that's all I care about more than anything else. Last thing. Um, it bothers me. I've seen your name uh, at the head of clickbait and it says <laughs> things like nepotism runs rampant in sports broadcasting. It's stupid. Um, you, there are plenty of sons of famous broadcasters who are terrible at broadcasting and do not get jobs. Um what what do you do? I mean, I'm sure you try not to read it, but do you just sort of use it like, okay, now I have to prove every day that I got this job because I'm good at this, not because I'm I and son? Yeah, well, I'm glad that uh, you said it in that voice because apparently that's the voice that people typed it in. in. Like, nepotism, <laughs> it's in this weird... You know, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I, it, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't really, doesn't really bother me that much. I just kind of, to your point... The way that I try to explain it to people generally is all I care and should care about are the opinions of the people that I love, first and foremost, so friends, family, and the opinions of the people that I respect within the business. And so if it's coming from somebody that I respect saying like, hey, you're not very good, then I'm going to ask them why, where can I get better? How can I improve? But it's such a subjective business as yeah. is, that right. it's hard. I, I find some of the stuff can be entertaining. You know, there's there's sometimes I'll get like mean tweets that I find somewhat entertaining. <laughs> but most of the time I just kind of ignore it, move on. And, and yeah, I, I from when I was in college, I had this this thought in my head of, you know, because of my last name, I need to work twice as hard as everybody else. Whether or not that's true is one thing, but it did at least push me to to work exceptionally hard and to like do things that maybe I wouldn't have done before and and just put in the the hours and manpower and whatever else. And I've kept a lot of that mentality, but I think I realized I probably went overboard when I was younger. And so now I just let it go. I do my work. I, I show up. I try to do the best job I possibly can. I try to make it entertaining. And if I can entertain the masses and I get a couple people that say X, Y, or Z, then I feel like I'm doing all right. That's good, though. I think that that actually makes me feel better because I, I don't think any of it is fair. But the idea that you sort of were able to shed the the fact that you're going to have to, you know, you're supposed to, you're, you're allowed to have a life. You don't have to be um, you, you don't even have to be as good as your dad was in order to be or is in, in order to, to be successful. Like you're, you're doing your own path. And I would hate for it to be a burden to be the son of Iron Eagle. You know, that's not fair to anybody. No, and most importantly, he didn't make it that way. Right. I think that, that's the most important part. Like, he made it clear very early to me of, 
hey, we're they're proud of me regardless. And as long as I have that, then I feel pretty good about where I'm going. And I know that I trust his opinion pretty much above almost everybody because, well, he created me. So if I did it, uh, that would be a problem. Yes, yes, that would be a bit of an issue uh, as well. And not a bad guy to learn from either. Um, continued success. Uh, this has been great. We'll, we'll catch up tomorrow before the game up on the perch at uh, at Amway Center. But I appreciate the time. You are, dude, like 25 going on 50. I mean, I feel like I gained perspective. Uh, so thanks so much. I appreciate it, man. Jake, appreciate you having me. We'll do it again soon. And uh, looking forward to tomorrow. Okay, definitely. Noah Eagle, Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Back next week with another edition. Have a great week, everybody. 